Let's open our Bibles to Mark 14. Mark 14. <clears throat> we'll be studying... <clears throat> Excuse me. In Mark 14, we'll be studying together verses 27 through 31. Uh, but this is an account that all four Gospels record... So let me read for you a harmony of the four Gospels of this account, and then we'll walk through Mark's briefer text. When Jesus had spoken these words, and when they had sung a hymn, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And the disciples all said, Likewise. Proverbs says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Some believe that to be courageous for Christ, you must be loud and boastful. In other words, volume equals boldness. But arrogant self-confidence is not the same as biblical courage. What we see in today's passage is this. Biblical courage is a combination of confident faith in Christ, who is king, and the humility to know one's own weakness and tendency toward cowardice. If we are honest with ourselves, then we will have to admit that our overconfidence has often led to our failures. A haughty spirit leads to our downfall. We are naive to think that we will never fail like the disciples did. Therefore, we need to listen and to heed two admonitions that we may draw from this account. The first admonition is this. Persevere in faith, keeping your eyes on the risen Christ. Notice in verse 27 that Jesus says to the disciples, You will all fall away. 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But Jesus warns the disciples that they will fall away, that trouble will come and they will run. Just as the prophet Zechariah predicted, the shepherd will be struck and his sheep scattered. Verse 50 tells us that after Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, that they all left him and fled. All of them. And there he stood alone. And Satan's strategy has not changed. As he opposes the work of the church, Satan often attacks the shepherds, knowing that if he can take down the shepherds, then the sheep will be unprotected and they will be easy prey. So we need to be careful. Let's not be overconfident. Let's not be naive. We are cut out of the same bolt of fabric that the disciples were cut out of. And given the right pressure, applied at the right time, in just the right way, we too are tempted to pretend we do not know Jesus. Kent Hughes writes, Naive presumption that one can follow Christ by the simple assertion of the will invites a rude awakening. I am much more comfortable when I hear a new believer say, I know I can't do it alone, but by God's grace, I'm going to do my best. Presumption, he says, has always been dangerous. It's always been dangerous for anyone who follows Christ, for following him necessarily involves some hardship. And what we see is this, that self-confidence must be replaced by God-confidence. We must live by the promises of God. And so we see in verse 28 how Jesus is so gracious and hopeful with the disciples. He says in verse 28, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I will be struck down. And this isn't the first time that he has told the disciples that he will be killed. But again, he gives them hope. And he graciously assures them that he will not disown them. That after he rises again, what will he do? He will go before them to Galilee. He will meet them there. Oh, that's so encouraging. That we have a Savior who no matter how many times we fail him, he will not disown us. And so he points to his resurrection to give the disciples hope. And we have the same promise. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus knows what we will face. 
And he not only predicts that his followers will face trouble, but he promises it. And so he encourages our faith. In John 15, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Who are we to think as a Christian that we will face less suffering or that we should somehow have the right to a suffering-free life? When the opposite is what Jesus not only predicts, but promises. How can we be strengthened to persevere in faith? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Turn there with me to Hebrews chapter 11. The writer exhorts us to fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus And and by doing so, we will have the strength to endure. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, in other words, in light of the numerous examples that we have in the scriptures of of men and women who lived by biblical faith, simple trust in God and his word, and they acted upon it in obedience Because of that, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the writer has just described some of the suffering that biblical believers throughout history have had to endure You just see a few of them mentioned. Verse 32. What more shall I say? In other words, how many more names shall I add to this list? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and, uh, uh, sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. 
The world was not worthy of these faithful servants. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive in their own lifetime that which was promised. But no, they were looking to a better promise, a better kingdom. Not the kingdom of earth, but the kingdom of heaven. God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so we have this great cloud of witnesses that continue to witness to us from the pages of Scripture of the faithfulness of God to sustain his people in times of suffering if they will look to Jesus, if they will look to the promise of something better. And notice then in verse 3, the writer says, Consider him. Who's him? The Jesus he just told us to look at in verse 2. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Where do we get strength from? Where do we get the strength to endure in the face of suffering and opposition to our faith? It's by considering him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility. And we look to Jesus in verse 2, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's He's the one who started our faith, and he is the one who will finish our faith. But what was it that compelled Jesus, moved him, motivated him, strengthened him to walk face first to the cross? It was the joy that was set before him. Don't misunderstand what the writer is saying. He is not saying that the joy that was set before Jesus was the cross. He says it is because of looking to the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the cross and despise the shame. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? It was the the welcoming of his bride into his family for all of eternity. He knew this. He prays in John 17. To the Father who has promised to give him his bride. And every believer in Christ is part of the bride of Christ. Do you understand that? If you are a believer in Christ, you are part of the Father's gift to the Son. We share in his reward. It was that joy, it was the joy that one day in the glories of heaven, he would share his eternal life with all those whom he purchased with his blood. That is what gave him the strength to endure. That's the same for us. We get strength for today by looking to the future. 
to the hope that has been set before us, which is eternal life with Christ himself. And so we must keep our eyes on Christ. Jesus warns us and assures us. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And we who know Christ are now in union with him. And that's why we are also overcomers. Because he overcame. So to persevere in faith, we must keep our eyes on the risen and ascended Jesus who sits at the Father's right hand and one day he is going to return. But there's a second admonition that we need to heed. And that is, pursue humility, keeping an accurate view of yourself. Now, you can tell here in verse 29 that Peter didn't really hear Jesus. His, his ears heard the words, but he wasn't really listening. His heart did not embrace the warning. And as a result, he underestimated how difficult this test would be. Jesus had told him earlier in chapter 8 and verse 34 that he was to deny himself. That Peter, you should deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Instead, under overwhelming pressure, Peter will deny Jesus. Same word. Instead of denying himself as he was commanded, he's about to deny his Savior. Friday morning, only hours after the Last Supper and only hours before the crucifixion, they will deny Jesus. Peter will deny him three times and all of them will fall away. They will abandon Jesus. But Peter doesn't think this is possible. And so Peter says, never will I deny you. But Jesus responds with, soon you will deny me. This very night you will deny me. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Herschel Hobbes adds some humor when he writes, Peter did not want to be put in the class of the chicken-hearted, yet how little he knew himself. In fact, a chicken will remind him of his chicken-heartedness. <laughs> isn't that often the way it is with us? We can pretend to be so bold and so strong and so confident, but in the face of extreme pressure placed at just the right points, at just the right time, how often we cave in. Peter will soon learn the reality of the proverb, pride comes before destruction. 
and an arrogant spirit before the fall. It's only going to be a few hours and Peter will be utterly ashamed of Jesus. Three times he will deny that he is a follower and that he even knows this man. And the other ten will run away. But Jesus says, truly, 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 this is going to happen, Peter. Truly, I tell you. Verse 30. This isn't a harsh rebuke. I don't see that here. What I see is patient, persistent correction from a Savior who loves Peter so much. Jesus is attempting here to help Peter see himself realistically. Which is, by the way, what biblical humility is. It is to see yourself accurately as God sees you. The Apostle Paul helps us in this way in Romans chapter 12. If you'll turn there, he helps us to have a proper view of ourselves. Because like Peter, we often think more of ourselves than we should. And we are overconfident. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, That God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Notice the fourth word in verse 3 For by the grace given to me. By the grace given to me. Why is that so significant? It is so significant because the Apostle Paul understood that anything that the Holy Spirit would ever accomplish through his life would be by the grace of God. He had learned, obviously not to perfection, but he had learned to not think too highly of himself. It took many, many beatings throughout the book of Acts. It took a thorn in the flesh being given to him by God through the vehicle of Satan, a physical affliction that would, would torment him the rest of his earthly life. And these were given to him so that he would not think too highly of himself. And so it is with us. We should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. What's sober judgment? That's accurate judgment of yourself based upon God, God's word, and how God sees you and who you are in Christ. And the bottom line is to recognize that everything that you and I are that is good 
and useful to God is by his grace. It's because of the grace of God at work in us. Nothing to boast of except the cross. That's all we can boast of is Christ who has so loved us and we will someday share in his eternal reward because of that. See, Peter suffered from too high a view of himself. He was overconfident. He, he did not yet possess biblical humility. He didn't see himself accurately from God's point of view. And too often, we are like Peter and the other ten disciples, are we not? In our pride, we have too high a view of ourselves. We boldly say we will always stand up for God in every situation, and then we have an opportunity at work or at a family reunion or in the neighborhood, and we just let it slip by. God opens a door, and we don't walk through it. How often? I know how often that's happened to me. I actually don't know because I've lost count of how many times. But God is so exceedingly patient. He was so patient with Peter and the others, and he is so patient with us. Jesus prayed for Peter, it says in the Gospel of Luke. And he prays for us, I believe, in a similar way. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Isn't it incredibly encouraging to know that our Savior prays this for us? That our faith will not fail. He says, if I must die with you, verse 31, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. If we're honest, then then we know the cowardice that dwells in each of our hearts. And like the disciples, we are sometimes ashamed to be known as a follower of Christ. Sometimes we deny Jesus by remaining silent when he opens a door to proclaim the gospel to a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor or a family member or a total stranger. Sometimes we hide our faith behind our politics, standing up for conservative values without actually witnessing about Jesus. And so people don't even see Jesus. Jesus, the friend of sinners. That's what they need. That's who they need to see. Sometimes we edit the words of Christ so that they sound less offensive. Well, Jesus said that, but I don't really think that's what he meant. And 
And we do that really to be more accepted by others, don't we? Sometimes we're content for people to just see us as being religious. Oh, that guy, yeah, he's one of those religious ones. Without actually understanding who the Lord is whom we love and serve. We have not witnessed for Christ if people come to the conclusion after knowing us for any length of time that we are merely a religious person. We have not witnessed for Christ. Are we willing in this day and age to be labeled a fanatical follower of the Lord Jesus Christ as the disciples in the book of Acts were known? But I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged by three simple truths. First, if we belong to Jesus, then he will never disown us no matter how many times we fail him. He will never disown us no matter how many times we fail him. What a precious promise that is. He said to the disciples, when I rise again, I'll meet you in Galilee. I'm coming back for you. Secondly, if we belong to Jesus, then he has given us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit will empower us, will strengthen us. I mean, think of the testimony of the book of Acts. And, and these, these men, Peter and the others, as well as other disciples, they turned the world upside down through their proclamation of the gospel. Well, they didn't do that. The Holy Spirit did that. It was the Spirit's doing, not theirs. So be encouraged that, that if you belong to Jesus, then he has given you his Holy Spirit of power and strength, not a spirit of fear. And thirdly, if we belong to Jesus, then he is praying for us. <laughs> wow. He's praying for us. Listen to Jesus praying in John 17 because we are included in this prayer. He's praying for his current disciples at the time and also for all who would believe through the testimony of the gospel. Jesus says to the Father, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. See, they belong to you, Father, but you are giving them to me. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Keep them in 
your name, Jesus prays. Jesus knows our every weakness. He knows there will be times that it will be very difficult for us to remain loyal to him. But he stands ready to forgive us every time we fail and to restore us to usefulness. This is the Savior whom we have. A Savior who is worth all that we have to give him. But a Savior also who is so gracious and so forgiving that he receives us back every time we fail. And he says, I'll keep using you. Think of those disciples. <laughs> Did Jesus give up on them? Did Jesus say, ah, oh, you failed me once. I'll go find someone else who's more worthy. No. He met them in Galilee. And then later he sent the Holy Spirit. And he continues to do things through normal, common people like us who have nothing to commend ourselves to God. But by his grace, he's doing a work. And he will use us for his glory. Let us trust him. Father, we thank you for the abundant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, we praise you for this passage of Scripture. For when we first open and look at it, taking just a glimpse, we see failure written all over it. And it makes us feel as though, oh, we're just like them, and how can we ever be used by Jesus? And yet, oh, the hope that Jesus gives to his disciples that he will rise again. He will meet them in Galilee. He will restore them. He will forgive them for failing. He will forgive them for keeping their mouths shut and not speaking the gospel, the truth of who he is. And then empower them with the spirit of God to turn the world upside down. Oh God, this Holy Spirit whom you gave to indwell those disciples in those early days of the church is the same Holy Spirit who indwells us. We who know Christ have been given the spirit of power and a sound mind, not a spirit of fear. So, Father, develop biblical courage in us. Not courage that rests upon our own strength or boasting, but courage that grows out of faith in the God who has conquered and will conquer. And help us, Lord, to grow in humility that we will see ourselves accurately and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, for we are simply servants of the Most High God. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.